I mean, you guys love God's presence. Love the word. Just let me know when everything's good back there. All right. Let's go ahead and pray. If y'all would please agree with me tonight over the word. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name and through his blood. We thank you for the power of the word of God. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we get into the word tonight. Lord, I ask you that you would anoint and speak through me your word. Father, I pray that by your spirit, everybody that's going to be hearing this, that are here, those that hear it down the road, you know, um, a year from now, whatever, let your Holy Spirit, Lord, begin to just brood over every person, Lord, and captivate us to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, Lord, that we'll be able to lock into what you're saying. There will be good, fertile soil in our hearts and minds, Lord. That you would anoint our eyes and ears and give, give us eyes and ears of the Spirit, Lord. I pray that you would speak through me. Your word is living seeds of truth that will go out into that good soil and be watered by the Spirit of God and take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, we ask you that your word, there'll be a washing of the water of the word. Lord, that your, your word would be like a purifying fire, Lord. Purify. Let your word go out as a hammer that's going to break down the strongholds of the enemy and a sword that's going to pierce where it needs to pierce. Father, we pray that, that your word, we know the Bible says it won't return void. So let the winds of your spirit carry this everywhere it's supposed to go and let your mighty angels watch over your word. Father, the Bible says the birds of the air try to steal the seed. And so we take authority. We submit every aspect of this service and the word unto the Lord. And having done so, we resist the devil. We bind up anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this word right now in Jesus' name. Lord, that you mighty angels will just clear out any resistance and let it go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And we commit it unto you. Let it be powerful and effective in every way. Lord, I ask you to speak through me in Jesus' name. Everything that needs to be spoken, we thank you for it now. Amen. All right, we're, we're dealing with 1 Timothy 4.1, doctrines of demons. We're dealing with things that, error that needs to be dealt with, okay? And this has been a, a unique sermon series, and I, I believe that you guys, I've had a lot of positive feedback from you guys, but this really deals with some things that need to be dealt with in the church world. And so tonight is no different. We're going to deal with some things that you're probably not going to hear preached too many places. How many times have y'all experienced that? So we're going to deal with something that probably you haven't heard before. But let me start out with this. There was a, a preacher that I really like, and he was saying the great sin of the modern-day American church, the American pastor, American leader, is that among a lot of places where there may be a large gathering... He said that there'll be a remnant in that group that really know the Lord. Y'all hear me tonight? There may be a big group of people, but I'm going to tell you, not everybody that goes to church knows the Lord, and I know you know that. But there'll be this big gathering, but he said, you know, there's a remnant in there that really know the Lord, and they're there for the Lord. They're there for the right reasons. They don't need to be entertained. They don't need all this other fluff they just love the Lord. They're there for the Lord. And he said that some of these leaders, they cater 100% to the, the group, the large group, with watered-down sermons. Everything is like a social club. It's got to be comfortable to those people in every way. It's entertainment, etc. And 
the sheep over there of the Lord that are really truly the Lord's, they're starving to death. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And the sad thing is that a lot of times people are catering to the wrong crowd. And as we deal with this tonight, I believe that you're going to see some things maybe you've never really thought about before. But God has not called the church. I'm, our ministry is very big on evangelism. You guys that are here know that. Sometimes people may just hear a passing sermon, have no idea about us, and don't know anything about us. But we continually have evangelism and outreach going on all the time. There's very seldom a week that goes by that there's not some kind of form of evangelism going on. So we're big into that. But the church is not called to be a gathering of the goats. It's supposed to be a gathering of Christ's sheep. There's nothing wrong with somebody coming in that doesn't know the Lord and they get saved. That's, that's wonderful. But if they're not going to get saved and they're not going to repent, you're going to see in the scriptures tonight how the Lord feels about that. All right, so Leviticus chapter 14, I don't have the time to go through this whole thing, but I'm going to give you kind of a cursory view of it just to set your teeth tonight. But we're dealing with how God separates his people from the false people, if you will, the counterfeit, those that are tares among the wheat. In Leviticus 14, back in this time, the Lord said, if I put a leprosy, and this was, you got to understand, any serious Bible scholar that studied this will tell you, this was not a physical disease that was just a contagion. There was more to it than this. This was something that God said, if I put this in a house, y'all remember reading this? If I put, the Lord said, if I do it, put a leprosy in a house where there's these green and red streaks running down a wall, the Lord was communicating that something in that house was not right with him. And the priest had to come in and start examining that house to find out what the problem was. So the Lord put that there to expose a hidden problem. And the Lord said, about that this same thing he said if this leprosy appears in a garment so there were garments robes etc that some of them will get like this spreading leprosy in the garment and the garment had to be dealt with and then of course also the lord showed us that there are people that could get leprosy and those bible scholars that have really studied this out connect this type of leprosy specifically with the sin of the mouth and where they get that from is that among God's people people tend to have a sinful mouth with gossip and slander etc and there was a story in the Bible where Miriam spoke behind Moses's back but she spoke against Moses y'all remember that and what happened leprosy and because of Moses's intercession she ended up being healed from it but I wonder how many of God's people have let their mouth shoot off against, you know, an anointed leader or against a church or being gossips, being divisive, or they've run down somebody behind their back or whatever, and they've opened themselves up to some kind of a spiritual attack, a spiritual problem that could have been avoided. But anyway, this um, leprosy that will come on a person was not if you read the symptoms and everything it's obvious that it was not just a normal natural physical disease alone it was something that god caused to happen are y'all hearing me 
Now, when this happened to an individual and the priest came in and examined them, the priest would eventually say, look, we've examined you. We've given this time to heal up. And you are unclean. You're going to have to go live outside the camp. Y'all need to hear me tonight because this is, really, this is really important where I'm going. And so this person now that's diagnosed with this leprosy, which is more than just a physical disease, it's something spiritual about it, whether it was in a house, whether it was in a garment, but right now I'm talking about on a person. The priest would tell them, look, you're unclean. You're going to have to go live outside the camp. And so they had to separate themselves from their family, from everybody they knew, and live outside the camp. This was a lonely place. It was isolated. And in this place, the sin here was, or the disease was called Metzora. But in this place, they had to begin to examine themselves. Why did this come upon me? And they had to get things right with God. Do you hear what I'm saying? This was an isolation where no longer could they deny that there was something wrong in their life, a sin that they need to deal with. Now it's obvious they're outside the camp they're isolated they don't have anything going on to distract them they're there with just them and the Lord and they now need to get brutally honest with God and they would realize okay I sinned in this area of my life Lord forgive me and when they get things right with God then the disease would begin to disappear then they could come back and show themselves to the priest again and they had to go through this elaborate cleansing ritual but they could go back to their family now, I want you to understand that the Apostle Paul, because I'm going to read some things here in a moment, he understood all of this pattern. That when somebody wasn't right, God would allow this to separate them from the camp so that they would deal with it. It was in isolation. It would cause a lot of sorrow in their life. But if they would deal with it, God would heal them. And they could go back and be restored, see? So understand this mindset the Apostle Paul had when he would write to the church. Because him being a rabbi, he thoroughly knew these scriptures. So now we're, in, we're at the church of Corinth. who was a pro, It was a problem church. This was a church that had a lot of issues in it. And one of the issues that surfaced, which you guys know, there was a man there that was in sexual immorality. And so now keep in mind what I, what I was talking about as I read this. Now the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, starting with verse 3, said, For I, on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has committed this, as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you have assembled, and I with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus that the Lord Jesus was present, if you will. His power was present. Verse 5, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You following this pattern here? Paul understood that there could be some health issues, but it would bring an ultimate good in the end. Here we go, verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened for christ our passover has been sacrificed therefore let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth 
I wrote you in my letter. Now, everybody hear this, because some of you guys need to hear this tonight. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Are y'all hearing this tonight? Don't associate with them. I did not mean at all with the immoral people of this world or with the you know, covetous swindlers or with idolaters for when you have gone out into the world. See, he's saying, look, the world's that way. But look what he says in verse 11. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person, which is sexual uncleanness, covetous, an idolater, a reviler. This is somebody that's abusive, loses their temper, violent, or a drunkard, or a swindler look at this not even to eat with such a one for what i what have i to do with judging outsiders do you not judge those who are within the church but those who are outside god judges but look what he says remove the wicked man from among yourselves purge it out so the same pattern that paul understood in the old testament was the pattern that he's he's building on here in the new that this person would be given over for the destruction of the flesh so in other words they would have health problems and they would be excommunicated out of the fellowship but what was the point of this to bring them to repentance and it's interesting that in second corinthians when paul wrote back again this person had obviously really repented because paul told them that they needed to forgive him and let him back in the fellowship again you see so this was the goal was that they would be removed out but that it would work a very good work in them okay <clears throat> and we know second corinthians seven ten, for godly sorrow works repentance to salvation let me say that again godly sorrow works repentance to salvation so when somebody is, is disciplined like that, somebody's dealt with, there's a godly sorrow that comes, but it will lead them to repentance and to eternal life. Here's the thing. How many of you guys have ever known somebody that's an enabler? Let's go ahead and talk about that for a minute. Let's say there was a grandma, and she loved her grandson, and he could do no wrong, but he was always dishonoring grandma. He was always stealing money out of her wallet. He was going around doing drugs and drinking, and he would bring that stuff into her house. As long as grandma lets him live there, she's enabling that. When grandma gets a belly full and kicks him out, then he's going to start looking at the possibility of the fact that he needs to change, you see. And as I've dealt with through this whole series, God hates mixture. Too many times I think that it's one thing for somebody to come and get saved, but it's another thing for people to keep coming into a fellowship and they're always there and they never repent and never get right. They're really heathen. It's like they defile the, path, the, um, the communion table, if you will, as we're taking it together. You see what I'm saying? There's no repentance. I remember reading in the um, book of Revelation, Jesus said about Jezebel, he said, I gave her space to repent, but she never repented. And Jesus deals with this with ungodly mixtures in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. When he returns, he's going to separate the sheep and goat nations. 
He's going to throw the goat nations into hell. But you see, there's a separation. Everybody following me tonight? Matthew 13, 25, or 24 through 30, the wheat and the tares. The tares look like wheat, but they're not wheat. And so the Bible says to let him grow up until harvest time, which is where you can tell the difference. And the Lord said he would send his angels and begin to separate them. You read in Matthew 13, 48 through 49 about the good and the bad fish. This big dragnet was thrown. There was a huge ingathering of fish. But then you see people on the bank. What are they doing? They're separating the bad fish and throwing them out and bringing in the good fish to eat. There's a separation. In Romans 16, 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark those that cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. The Lord has me speaking on this for a reason. I don't know the specific reason. But as we begin to break out into what we're praying for with a greater move of the Spirit and more people coming to know the Lord and more people coming in, you have to understand that not everybody that comes in among us is really God's people and not everybody that comes in among us needs to stay. And let me read this again up here at the top because this has been one of the things that I have, as a pastor, I've had to, to preach this before and talk about it. And it's really grieved me because people know many times that they're not supposed to be hanging out with the wrong people. But yet they do. And inevitably, they end up having their own problems and a lot of them. And then I've got to pray and, and, you know, fast and seek God to get them back right where they need to be if they would have just done what the Word said from the very beginning. But the Bible says here, don't associate with a so-called Christian that's an immoral person. Don't even eat a meal. If they're sexually immoral, if they're covetous, if they're an idolater, and let's break it down. In idolatry, if they're mixing up things with the occult, they're worshiping other gods, they're playing around, they've got things in their life that's obviously a major idol. They're a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with them. It's time for God to separate the sheep and the goats. Amen? And let that take place. All right, and so as we preach on that, let the, the sheep and the goats be separated, the wheat and the tares separate. Let there be a cleansing in Jesus' name. So as we're going to be seeing more people come in, not everybody is the real deal. Not everybody's repentant. Not everybody's willing to change. And they need to be purged out, okay? But once, God's heart is this, though. When people obey the Bible and they deal with it and those type of people are removed out, God's heart is that there's a godly sorrow that will lead them to repentance and then they'll be brought back into the fellowship but this time they're right is this making sense tonight but as long as a church will keep winking at it and not dealing with it the church has become an enabler they're never going to repent or change because nobody's going to confront it And it is possible if they die in their sin, they'll go to hell. You're not doing anybody a favor by disobeying the Bible just to make them feel good. And then we know Matthew 18 model. 
Jesus said, if there's an issue that you go to the person in private and try to talk to them, then take witnesses and ultimately take it before the church if they don't change. And then Jesus said, if they still don't repent after that, to excommunicate them out and treat them like a pagan or tax collector. In other words, don't associate with them. But again, you see the love of God there. He's wanting them to repent. They're put outside the camp so that they can be isolated between them and God and realize, you know, I've been so angry at everybody else, but really, I'm the problem. I'm the reason why my life is this way. Lord, forgive me. And they really repent and change. Then they can come back in. Now, I know you guys understand this, and I've, I've preached on it before. But to have God's presence like we do, and to have a move of God... You have to obey the Bible in every respect, and even these uncomfortable things. And a lot of people won't deal with it. All right, and then, of course, there's the scripture in 2 John, verse 9. Anyone who runs ahead of God and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, who is not content with what he's been taught, does not have God. But he who continues to live in the doctrine, the teaching of Christ, does have God. He has both the Father and the Son. Look at verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, is disloyal to what Jesus Christ taught. Now, how many knows Jesus said, if you love me, obey my teachings? You know, people get off into weird stuff. They start good, but then they end off into some weird stuff to usually justify maybe their own sin or something. But the Bible says if they're, not, if they're going to be disloyal to what Jesus taught, do not receive him, do not accept him, do not welcome him or admit him into your home or bid him Godspeed or give him any encouragement. For he who wishes him success encourages him wishes, wishing him Godspeed is a partaker in his evil doings. Now let me just share a couple stories in this. There was a pastor that he loves the Lord, but man, the, the church that he was at, some of them were trouble. And there was a group of people that really began to gossip and cause a lot of problems, a lot of division in the church. And he being a godly man, he tried to talk to him and give him space to repent and you know took witnesses he did everything that you could do but they just weren't going to change so finally he just had to tell him just don't come back you know how it is they they got offended and all that but yet they didn't come back and it was interesting because once they left he was talking about this incident he said you know he said we didn't do anything different than what we were doing before but after they left he said the Holy Spirit just began to fall in our church. He said there was no other reason, and we just started having amazing services. All these things started happening. That's interesting, isn't it? One of the pastors, can you deal with that? This is distracting. One of the pastors that, um, that saw a great revival, a great move of God, he had to deal with some of these things. There was a, there was a group of people that was causing problems in the church and they kept on and kept on and kept on with it and the pastor went to this lady she was a gossip and tried to talk to her tried to deal with it took witnesses did everything he could and there was just no repentance 
And so finally on a Sunday morning, I, I know this, this evangelist personally knew him and he was telling us this story. He said that he was there on a Sunday morning and there was a large group there and he was sitting there with his family and the pastor gets up and opens his Bible and says, let me talk to you for a minute. And he said, this is a made up name, Bob, you and so-and-so, your wife, y'all need to stand. And the pastor just leaned on the pulpit and told him in front of everybody, and this is so biblical. He already went to him in private. He already took witnesses. He did everything that he could do, and there was no repentance. So he said, Bob, you and your wife stand. He said, we've done everything we can do, and there's no repentance. You're still sowing discord, causing all kinds of problems, and you're going to leave today and not come back. And so the ushers came and ushered him out. And that evangelist that was there, you got to understand, this church saw a major move of God after this. Major move of God. Millions of people were affected. Um, the evangelist said it was like a dark cloud rolled off that church. When they went out the back door, something lifted off that church. There was a darkness. There was a heaviness. And um, I could go on and on about these stories, but it's willing to deal with the things that need to be dealt with. And I think many times churches don't want to do that, but if they will, it will break things open for a major move of God in their church. How many times have parents known that stuff was not right, but they didn't want to deal with it? They're maybe at home, they wanted to be a friend to their kid instead of being a parent. You know what I'm saying? How many times has church leaders known something was wrong in a church, but instead of really dealing with it, they just want to pacify everybody? It creates an atmosphere where the devil can cause all kinds of problems. And one of the things I've noticed in the church world is there's all kinds, of, all kinds of stuff that's being allowed into the church today that's very concerning to me. I just saw today, and of all places, San Francisco, you know, but anyway, I tell you, they, there's a church there. It's worshiping Beyonce or whatever now. I mean, it, it is getting really weird out there, guys. But how many times in the church today... Are people getting away from a true move of God and the Bible? And now it's just all about entertainment. You guys know it. You've seen it. It's just a light show in a rock concert. How many times is it just about man-pleasing? Just making people happy instead of making God happy. How many times is there worldliness, all kinds of seductive dress, People's, people in the church have got foul mouths just like the world. You know, they're letting all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's just weird. How many times has the occult subtly crept in? People that work with children allowing things like Harry Potter in or yoga and horoscopes and all kinds of stuff. All kinds of sexual immorality. And people in the church that are practicing abortions. When the church is letting that stuff go on in their midst, and people are coming in that are living in unrepentant sin of sexual immorality, it allows spirits like that to be at work in that church. When people know about it and they're allowing people to come that are practicing abortions, and they're still coming to church and being a part of that fellowship, there are spirits of murder, spirits associated with death, 
things like that that's going to be circulating in that church. A little leaven works through the whole batch. And I'm going to tell you, there was a time when the church, people could tell a marked difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. That line is getting blurred. In the church world today, used to, you could really tell a church. I mean, there was a holiness and a purity. And now you come in and people are just like the world around them in a lot of places. And River of Life, let me tell you, I, I feel this. I feel that there's a new level breaking in, especially after Pentecost. But man, it can be a fight sometimes. And the devil hates this type of preaching and does not want this. I felt a lot of resistance tonight as I'm trying to preach this. The devil hates it. He hates it. What the devil wants to do is he wants to, you know, you start seeing a move of God. He wants to sow in some trouble and work it in like leaven and dough. And then down the road, it's not dealt with. It'll emerge and it can cause all kinds of problems. But I believe River of Life, God is calling us to holiness, to be set apart unto him. We're not going to be like those people that come to church and then on the weekends, you know, you're going out clubbing and partying and drinking and all this garbage and they're coming in and worshiping God. It don't work like that. They think it does, but it don't. Righteousness and purity, innocence before God. The Lord wants his house to be holy ground. He wants his people to be lifting up holy hands. So, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We bless you. We praise you. And, Lord, I pray that in the days to come that there would be a unity about all of this. Is there's probably going to be things that come up that we just simply have to deal with. But, Lord, I pray that there'll be a unity. And understand the heart of God, that even if he judges somebody, even if there's discipline, his heart is that they repent. And they change. A godly sorrow that leads to repentance. That they can come back and fellowship. But Lord, I pray that there'll be a unity and a peace in that in the days to come. And Lord, we ask you as a church, and everybody's agreeing with Pastor right now, Lord, keep the wrong people out. Keep the wrong people out. We don't want just everybody. But we ask you, Lord, to bring the right people in. People that will love you and be sincere. But keep out those that are trouble, those that are Jezebels, those that are Judases, those that are just heathen, Lord, keep that type of stuff out. And we're, we're believing for a great harvest of souls. And when they come in, they're going to need to be cleaned up. And that's a beautiful thing. But we're talking about people that call themselves Christians and refuse to repent. That's what we're talking about tonight. Lord, keep that stuff out. But we pray that tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.